you so much for listening to Exactly with me, Florence Given. For the last three episodes, I've been talking to my guests, Leila Saad, Aisha Akambi, and Lars May, all about social media. They've all had such incredible and insightful things to say. And it's so good to chat about this stuff, as so much of it we experience just in our heads, with our phones in our hands, and it can feel quite isolating. I found it super enlightening and thought-provoking, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts and talk to you today about what you've learned. Today, I have another incredible guest joining me to help answer your questions, the psychologist, Sirut Chawla. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today's is the fourth and final episode in this mini-series on social media. And today we're sharing the mic with you. This is your chance to ask the questions that you care about. And today, Siru and I are going to be answering as many of them as we can. Siru is a psychotherapist who lives in London. She's practiced in the NHS and now runs her own private practice. She has a special interest in personal responsibility and resilience and now teaches that in an online membership. I'm a huge fan of Siru and I followed her for some time on Instagram and I'm so excited to have her with me today. I think I followed her about over a year ago. I'd seen some of her quotes being shared on social media and a lot like uh, the other guest I had on this mini-series for social media, Aisha, it almost felt illegal to be engaging with her content, not because it's radical, not because it's quote-unquote problematic, but because she says the things that are in the very depths of my mind. And I'm not talking about, like, criminal thoughts. I'm talking about going against the grain of what everyone on social media is saying. And Sea Root is a breath of fucking fresh air. She has an enormous emphasis in her work on personal responsibility and how she believes that the kind of self-help and uh, self-care circles on Instagram, they were originally created to help us but in a way are now hindering us as we learn to constantly validate our own feelings and not sit in any discomfort. She talks a lot about how discomfort isn't actually a bad thing. Um, And I totally agree with her, you know? I feel like I have moved from one space of perfectionism to another where you can kind of get trapped in this cycle of constantly wanting to improve yourself. Um, And that's just no place to really live. You know, we live in the gray area as human beings and you don't, it's not, it's not black and white. It's not good or bad. It's not perfect. And I like that she very much presents healing as a journey to her audience. And I cannot wait to hear what she has to say today. 
thank you so much for coming onto my podcast today, Siru. I love your work. Thank you so much. I love yours. I really do. You're one of the only people who talks about feminism in a way that actually I think, oh yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Oh, I learned from that. Sick. That's amazing. I feel the same way about you uh, as a therapist <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. It's very cool. So wait, before we get into all of the, the questions that we have from my listeners, I have five icebreaker questions that I ask all of my guests. First thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Music. Gorgeous. Any song, album in particular, genre? Uh, at the moment, I'm just really obsessed with Dusty Springfield. Oh, I'm just going back and listening to everything. Yes. If you, could, if you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life and it would be a look that could define you forever, what would that be? That's very easy because I already do that. Okay. Um, I wear the same thing every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is it then? I wear a uniform of, at home it's black sweatpants. When I go out it's black trousers or black jeans. And it's the same H&M V-neck black top Gorgeous. that I wear. I have like 16 of them. <laughs> Gorgeous. Them. I, I'm the same with a white tank top oh. and denim jeans. It's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? It's like, exactly. just go for it. Yeah. Okay. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? That they think I'm angry or hostile or something like that. <laughs> um, and I'm just a little bit aspy and just straightforward in my speech. Yes. And it's really interesting that the projections I get onto just onto that one thing. I think we're used to people lying to us. This culture of like telling people maybe what they want to hear and you refuse to do that. So that's probably perceived as aggressive or hostile. Okay, the next question. Finish the sentence. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to... Health and fitness. Okay. The last question on my icebreaker questions. When was the last time you majorly cringed at yourself? Oh my God, I do it every single day. <laughs> <laughs> every day. Like, you know, even like you put a post up in the morning, in the afternoon, you're like, oh, yes. what was I thinking? Yes, yeah. yes. First of all, I just want to say you were one of the first people I said I wanted to have on the show because I just fucking love what you say so I'm so glad that we finally get to do this okay so today (laughs) we are we are going to have some questions from my listeners Mm -hmm. and you're here to help me answer them so the first question is how to have balance perspective and self-awareness when taking part in social politics online well that's a big question (laughs) a really big question First, you'd want to start with making sure you're emotionally regulated, because the second you're like dysregulated or activated, you're going to start getting a bit more binary in your thinking. You're going to lose self-awareness and start focusing on what seems like a threat. I have a rule. when I f- If I'm feeling activated or threatened or angry, I try not to respond from that place to anyone or anything, especially okay. in real life relationships. So what would you do in the, in that time where you're feeling dysregulated? Um, if it's online and I'm feeling dysregulated, I'll just turn. It's like I remind myself this is just an app in my phone. That's it. Um, yeah. And I'll just close it and go away. I feel quite resentful to think that an app in my phone could have such a big hold on my life. So I would go away from that. And if it's it's not always easy for people to do that. And I want to I want to acknowledge that because some of these kind of political discussions get really nasty, really personal. What you say is looked at, what you don't say is looked at. So even if it's just acknowledging in that moment to cover your ass and say, look, I'm feeling emotionally not okay right now and I'm just going to go away and I'll come back to this. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, like like you said, um, of course, they're switching off. But now this is infiltrating almost every aspect of our lives where you could be like, even like exiled or pushed out of a friendship group for not posting or posting the wrong thing. So yeah, it does impact um, social relations. It has a huge real life impact, offline impact. Especially the first time I got cancelled, I went through the great unfriending. And like, you just lose so many friends or people quietly just turn away from you Mm. and they don't unfollow you or people that you know in real life have something to say. I find there is a difference though between how people operate online and how they do offline um, when it comes to maybe what they say about you or something. You know, I've had friends unfollow me without telling me and then I'll see them in person. They're like, hey, how are you doing? It's very odd. And I think that's when I realised a lot of people don't even believe what they say online. It's out of fear. And I think Aisha actually compares it to like a high school canteen, the digital canteen, where it's like Mm. siding with people in the canteen, like for protection. Yeah, it's, it's very like primitive and animalistic and survival mode. I've had girls write tweets about me and then try to match me on Hinge afterwards. It's it's so weird um, and just goes to show that like a lot of people, it's, it's, it's all talk and it's very wild. But it's also an insight into their personality um, that I wouldn't ignore personally. Absolutely so, not. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think like, like going back to this person's question, like how do you gain that self-awareness taking part in social politics online, I would say um, ground yourself in real life experiences and things that you know are true because the online world can become so distorting. For me, it's sometimes as simple as going for a walk in the morning, maintaining my rituals Mm. to know that real life does matter and that a lot of the things and the theory that we apply online doesn't actually translate to real life. And to this person's question, I'd say you need to work on self-awareness outside of this situation to have self-awareness in it. Okay. So the next question that someone's asked here is, what should you do if you make a genuine mistake online? Let's assume they mean the mistake has happened online and not something you did privately. It depends because, you know, people are so terrified of making mistakes now. I think you have to be really sort of grounded and firm in yourself and decide for yourself, even if you can't help thinking about how it's going to be perceived and what the mob might do. You have to compartmentalize that and first think about what's right for you. Generally, most of us, if we if we fuck up, you want to try and make it right. So if you actually want to do that, do that. If you haven't done something wrong and you're being told you have, don't do it. Don't apologize. But I'd also be really careful with it because the word accountability has been, been subject to concept creep and really account. When I hear the term accountability now, it almost immediately has associations with harassment, bullying. Me too. You know, That's what, yeah. mob rule. Yeah. So um, I think, unfortunately, you have to also be really careful with it because there are people who will see you apologizing or see you in a moment of vulnerability and then behave like vultures mm-hmm. and try and make it into something or insert themselves in the situation or try and be weirdly authoritarian about it. So unfortunately, you have to um, balance what it is that you want to do with the sense of self-protection I think. Yeah I, I associate the same thing with the word accountability. It's, it's so annoying because accountability is actually like such a beautiful thing to have in interpersonal yeah. relationships. It's how you help each other grow. Accountability for, to me looks like holding your own perspective and appreciating that 
what you've done or said could also harm another person and saying, yeah, I'm really sorry, I'll, I won't say that again. Or can we find a way to work around this without me compromising myself also? Like that's what accountability would look like to me. That's a beautiful definition. Yeah, it's, it's been completely warped, I think. And it's something that um I, I've written about in my book, my first book, Women Don't Eat Pretty, I wrote about accountability. <laughs> Uh, you know, in its truest sense in those interpersonal relationships. Mm. But at its heart, I know what accountability is, what it looks like, and it's yeah. not harassing people online. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay, the next question is a voice note from Jessica. Hi, Florence. It's Jess, and I'm a huge fan of your podcast. My question about social media is, why are girls so, like, obsessed with how many likes they get on social media? Okay, thank you, Jessica. I would say... We're obsessed with social media likes because it's the quickest, most transactional way to feel good about ourselves. I find myself reaching for my phone in moments of boredom. I have to intentionally tell myself to sit and feel how I'm feeling. I think it's so easy to grab your phone and it's validation and it's a way to feel good about yourself quickly that requires minimal effort. And I think that that's what we're seeing a lot these days. There's so many other reasons behind it, but See, Root, what, what do you have to say? I think being obsessed with likes is, you know, it's like a feedback loop because you get the dopamine with the likes. You know, a dopamine rush, a sense of reward, it feels really good. And then you want more and you get it and then you want more. And it's kind of like, you know, you notice when um, if you post something and it doesn't get very many likes, how much that impacts your mood. It has a very real neurobiological impact. And the other thing I think from a like evolutionary point of view, it's also about acceptance from the tribe. You know, as soon as you get likes, you're being sort of told that what you have to say is valuable, um, that you're accepted. It's sort of the opposite of rejection. And that's what we that's yes. what we crave, don't we? Yeah, a sense of belonging. Yeah. 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 So I guess in, in a way, social media kind of minds that human need. And actually the thing that I know you talk about as well with cancel culture and all this kind of stuff is that that's also what it does is it gives the person experiencing that the worst form of like being removed from human contact, almost being like a non-person. Yeah, it's horrible because it's like, you know, nasty mean girl bullying that we've all been subject to, but at scale. And if you notice, the people who do most of these harassment campaigns, they're all women. It's like women's interpersonal violence against women. I really find this quite fascinating in a very horrifying, disturbing kind of way. Yeah. Women tearing down women. And I think the um the term is relational aggression. So um, yeah. what, what, what you're talking about, it being on like such a huge scale of women, it actually is like being in high school where women hurt each other through our relationships. We know that the worst thing That's is exactly to be exiled. Right. Yeah, we, we know that the worst thing is to be exiled from the group, is to be isolated. But yeah, it's relational aggression on steroids. It's, it's, yeah. it's complete isolation. And the impact that has on you, like even on, on your primitive brain to think like you're kind of being exiled from the tribe. And for most of our history, if you were exiled from the tribe, you wouldn't survive. You'd, you'd actually die. So true. Okay, moving on to the next question. How do you allow yourself to be authentic online and not give in to following the norms? I think it, it, can, it can be a little bit of a journey and I'd love to hear yours as well. Like if you scroll back to the beginning of my, when I hmm. first started posting, my first posts are like 
utter dog shit. Yes. Well, you, you mean, do you mean you truly believed what you said at the time and now you disagree with it or you were pretending to be something else back then? No, I think my first posts were just completely clueless okay. and really ugly and just really bad. I think you have to you have to kind of get comfortable being online. You have to get comfortable with what it's like to have an audience because it's not yeah. a trivial thing. Through that process and and continually anchoring back to yourself and your um your values and just being who you are. So I think of myself sometimes as a like reluctant influencer because I hate so much about social media and the way people behave on there that um I'm really determined to be as awkwardly difficult and different <laughs> as possible. I, I would agree because you almost can't authentically just like show up and be yourself online. Yeah. At least that wasn't my experience. I didn't even show my face on Instagram for a while. It was just um, my illustrations. And that's what I started off with and sharing my political slogans. And I was 18 at the time when I was sharing them. And it was all very authentic. It was all very what I wanted to say. Um, and then I showed my face. And it changed how people interacted with me because I was young. I still am young. You just have to build a fuck ton of resilience because it's not going to be easy, but it gets easier the further you push. And you don't have to push yourself to reach like the most amount of followers you can possibly get. But if you're someone like me who has a message, I know that I want to write books for the rest of my life. I want to do my podcast. I want to do all of this stuff. So I need to get used to... Uh, people challenging, people saying nasty things, because I know that I want to do this for a long time. So I would just say, think about what you want, put your stuff out there. Uh, I've said this before, but like nothing is more depressing than the thought of my illustrations still remaining taped up on my bedroom wall where I would have left them. Like that thought is so haunting to me, just like hanging with the sellotape on the wall. If I never took pictures of them and put them online, I wouldn't be doing this today. Get used to your internal voice and having some kind of rock to cling to inside of yourself uh, or a support system around you to remind you of who you are when the internet gets a bit odd. Yeah. And also you have to think of it like you if you walk into a party, you know, full of strangers, you're not going to walk in and be 100% yourself. You're going to be a little bit guarded, a little bit unsure until, you know, maybe you've been there a few hours or you've meet, met them a few times and then you can start to be more comfortable and be yourself. And I think it's a really similar process with starting to show up on the internet. And also be aware that being online and having an audience will change you. It's like it's like growth on steroids, I feel like. Yes! So the next question we have is from a caller. Their name's Beth. Hey Beth, thank you so much for calling today. No worries, how are you guys? I'm good. good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Lovely to meet you all. Me too. So what would you like to ask us today? I would like to ask how I can use social media as a platform for inspiration, as well as educating myself, rather than just coming away feeling deflated, self-conscious, and just basically constantly comparing myself to others. That's something that I am struggling with, and I just would like you know a couple of methods of dealing with that, basically. Do you know when you feel crap after coming off social media like when is it is it a certain type of content or is it a general crap feeling you get from being on the app yeah it is the content that I follow and I think sometimes it is a bit of I'm toxically doing it to myself I know that I am I follow a lot of photography accounts because I am a young photographer that's what I'm studying at the moment and also getting fashion inspiration but it's 
separating the two inspiration education basically just not feeling shit about myself Sirut do you have anything to say to that I was just wondering if because you said that you feel like you also do it to yourself and I was wondering what need that met for you what you get from from that what makes you go back and do it again obviously these people that I follow have a certain aesthetic Mm -hmm. that I like um not necessarily that's something good that I need maybe it's you know almost an obsession that I keep on going back to because that's just who I follow Mm -hmm. and then it's actually maybe do I need to make the effort of just unfollowing those people or you know because actually they're not inspiration it's just putting me down (laughs) maybe you can do an uh, like um inventory of the people you follow and think about is it a net positive or a net negative to follow this person? And also, just from a practical point of view, you could have two accounts. You could have one for your obsession that you only look at once in a while, and you could start to phase yourself into a new account. So like, I often think when you're starting something new, don't focus so much on tearing down the old, focus on building the new. So maybe start a new account, which is going to be your new way of being, and only follow the kind of people that... Um, nourish you and educate you and bring you and inspire you and all the all the good things okay yeah definitely yeah that's such a good point about focusing on building the new instead of tearing down the old because also that is a part of you it might move into another area of your life if it's the obsessive part of it it might move into something else and I think for me that was I was in that place of following all of these people um, that did make me feel very good about myself like a few years ago And I think it's like taking back that power, like that is your media source that you have control over. So I would definitely recommend unfollowing people. And like Root said, doing like the net, uh, like weighing up whether it's overall good or overall bad. Um, I think that's a really good idea because yeah, some things can... They can either inspire you, brilliant women, uh, inspire me. And I've worked really hard to like turn around those feelings of jealousy, which still come up. But if I feel them and I can feel these thoughts rising in my head, I go, what is this about? Oh, it's because I want what she has. It's because there's an area of her life that she's better at than me. Is there a YouTube tutorial I need to watch to learn how to do what she can do? That's what I've like switched it around in my head. But again, there's there's a certain type of woman that I will just never be. And I've accepted that in myself now. It's so easy to just say, stop comparing yourself. So I think it's it's probably a good idea to, yeah, have like a detox and go through the list of people that you're following. And the other thing is, don't beat yourself up because it's um, the app is designed to make you feel that way. You know, com- the app is set up for comparison. And when you think about like, how can I use this in a better way? And when I've been asked this before, I often think it's like saying, oh, how can I use cocaine in a better way? Like, you you know, it's, you're, you're dealing with like the dangerous substance. So it's always going to have an element of, of messing with your head. So it's not all you. And, and I think that's really important to think about as well, is that it's not you failing at something. It's the app doing what it's designed to do. And I think you're asking really good questions because you're thinking about how you can mitigate the negative impacts of the app. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank so you. Welcome. Good luck. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Okay, that was so wonderful. I love doing the call-ins because it's so nice to talk to an actual person. <laughs> it is. It's so, and it makes such a difference, doesn't it? It's like you feel so much more invested in wanting to help when you see the person's face. And I think yes. like social media has completely robbed us of that, which also is why we're so foul to each other on the internet. I know. Yes, it's so good. Okay, so the next question that we've been sent in here... How does being cancelled impact the person who's cancelled? Wow. <laughs> it, it's such a broad question. How does it not impact you? It impacts you like across the board. You lose friends. You become really disillusioned about relationships, I think, because there's so many people that you think would have had your back that just kind of quietly turn away or um, you become isolated. And I think the level of harassment that you can get when you're cancelled. And I don't think people understand what it's like because it's not just what they see, you know, some posts here and there and, you know, some mean comments. It's like a deluge of DMs. It's like your friends turning away from you, people trying to ruin your professional life. Um, stories will be made up about you. Your reputation is kind of destroyed. Um, you know, there's so much there. And for me, like I'm I'm trying to be more open about this because I think it's really important, but my cancellation went on so long, so many months, the first one, and it was so relentless that I started to have suicidal ideation. Like, so I wasn't actually suicidal, but I was thinking about how much easier would it be if I just, if I just ended it because yeah. I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore, especially when your income and your career is tied to the internet. There's no escape. You just have hundreds, sometimes thousands of people just harassing you month after month after month and lying about you. And the psychological impact of that is really profound. And I think it it still impacts me in different ways. It's made me harder. It, one of the reasons I talk about it so much is because I am pretty tough. I do have, my mood is generally very stable. My mental health is quite robust. And that's how it impacted me. So how would it impact somebody who's much younger or in a more vulnerable place? I'm really sorry that you experienced that. Um, I didn't know that about you. I just found your content like a year and a half ago. Um, but I have like a big spot in my life for people who have been through all of that kind of stuff because I just think it's I just think it's so um, it's so cruel. And I one of the main reasons I started this podcast was so that I could talk to human beings instead of people on the internet, because I do think that it it decreases the empathy. So even you now talking about suicidal ideation, we see mm. we've even now learned to not really feel how the gravity of what that actually means. Um, because yeah. we yeah, hear the word. Yeah, yes, that's desensitized. Exactly. That's the word. Um, so yeah. like that's why I wanted to do this podcast was because I want people to see each other as people again. Okay, the next question. I feel like if I post anything on social media that I'm showing off and I feel really bad, but when other people do it, I think it looks so cool. How can I stop being so hard on myself? 
I want to say one thing, that it does feel weird to share things about yourself unprompted. That's a completely normal thing. Um, I think it's just become our norm now. And so when everyone's doing it, we think, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And so we're now having to do this uncomfortable thing of sharing ourselves with the world. So if you do feel a hesitation, that's completely normal. (laughs) It's completely normal. And there's no reason that you have to do it. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that you have to. And some of us are more private. I'm more private. I don't share almost anything personal about myself on, on my Instagram or my face very often. I'm trying to get a bit better about the face thing so people can see I'm an actual human being. But it's okay to have your life be private. And it's okay to only share part. It's okay to only share the highlight reel. Like, let's break that idea down. It's okay to only share what you want to share and what you want to show. And let's not forget that this is like a parasocial relationship. So you have an audience of people and you're like, oh, look at my new handbag. It's just weird. (laughs) There is something really, maybe it's because I'm a bit older and like, I didn't grow up with this, but I still find so much of it so weird. I only feel uncomfortable doing something if I feel like it's an inaccurate representation of my life. Is it a photo shoot I did where I cried afterwards that I now have to share? That makes me feel uncomfortable. That's when I feel inauthentic because it's like, well, do I have a responsibility to tell people? Or is that something I keep to myself because that was a really hard day for me and I just had a breakdown because of something I thought I was over and clearly I'm not. There's all of this like, what do you owe your audience? And the answer is nothing. And yet... As someone with a platform, you also do have a lot of power and influence over how people think about themselves. It's so odd. I'm constantly like back and forth with this um, stuff, but I never do something that feels forced anymore. When it comes to showing up on social media, I think if it feels a bit forced and you feel like you're saying something to say something, um, that's probably not the best place to come from. And I think it's, I find it really sinister what you just said, because it sounds like you were almost conditioned when you were quite young to start sharing yourself publicly on on Facebook and stuff. And you got used to sort of giving parts of yourself away. Yes. Again, I think that's just such a disservice that we've done to your generation, because you don't start from this orientation of being private and having privacy. No. You start from the orientation of like, almost exhibitionism like that's what that's what being online is isn't it voyeurism and exhibitionism yes absolutely yes but that's the default of uh young people now is to even even like um I'm sure he won't mind me saying this my friend the other day we were going to go to a party and I was like right let's let's get an uber um because it'll be like quicker to get there and he was like no let's get the tube so we can take a tiktok on the way (laughs) So it's like even the even like the the um the commodification of like the commute has become about what can we get from this commute and it's funny you know he wanted to get like a cool video of us whatever but again it, it's the the commodification of everything that you do but yeah everything you're right everything has kind of become commodified and we do come from a default now of exhibitionism as opposed to privacy. <laughs> yeah, the things people show online, crying selfies and um the most private, intimate parts of their relationship or their personal, you know, my using like my bad childhood as part of your brand, like all of this stuff. It's just like, what are we doing? I feel like we're veering so far off piece of what, um, taking sacred things and then using them as like bait so you can hawk some courses in a book. Like it's one thing to tell your story and and own your story and be open about Mm. it. It's another thing to use these things 
in this very sort of contrived mercenary way to um to make money mercenary what does that mean uh motivated by money let's say i don't think people necessarily know how much they're manipulated on social media it's not people sharing it's people marketing and building brands uh pain initially was shared on social media to relate so other people could feel less lonely and now people have seen that that works and in some spaces it's become a commodity I feel really strongly that if you share something, you should share it because you want to share it. I don't think you should take your personal history and almost disrespect it like that. Yes, you don't have to put it online. The the opposite side to that, though, to not sharing, which I've experienced, is being grossly misunderstood. So, Sirut, when you spoke about experiencing suicidal ideation, you know, I feel that I, there are so many things that I would like to talk about because a lot of people get things wrong about me um, and I want to constantly, almost the ego comes in and wants everyone to understand me. It wants everyone to know that I've, I'm not that person. I've been through this. I've da 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 da. But then you can kind of move into that space of constantly defending yourself. Um, so, like when you spoke about your suicidal ideation, it's probably also because a lot of people assume things of you that are just deeply uncomfortable, and you want to be like, "That's not true. Mm. It's not just like that. Mm. It's it's actually a lot worse than that." And if you it, if you want to go there, this is how it made me feel. And I, I, it's so deeply painful to be misunderstood by people. So when you don't tell people the things, it leaves room for this yeah. gross assumption about you. Like, and all, they fill in the gaps with their minds, yeah. right? So I think sometimes, in my experience, and with people I know, we've shared stuff about ourselves because we are so fed up of being misunderstood and of people assuming the wrong things. So I think it's sometimes it could also be like a protection thing. It's true. And there's a lot of conflicting feelings there. Because there was a time where I did try to keep explaining things and I didn't want to be misunderstood and it felt really difficult to be misunderstood and so kind of harshly and punitively judged. And then I think as time went on, it shifted or how it shifted. But I've also like personally had a really difficult time the last few years. I've lost three people. Um, My mum died last year to COVID. It was, you know, like I've been Mm. grieving and so much of the social media stuff then kind of pales in comparison. And the way I think about it is that I don't need to explain myself to strangers. They can have whatever assumptions of me they like. And I think you almost get to the point where you're desensitized to it. Like, it's not only just tolerating being misunderstood. It's like you're actually hardened to it. Yes, that's how I feel now. Like, like... Yeah, like it's almost like you built a callus there because you've been cut there repeatedly. Yes, the callus. So you just end up building yes. a callus there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get to the point where it's just like, okay, yeah. think what you want. I don't. I like. I'm not getting involved in it. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be focusing on what I want to say, and whatever tone you read it in is none of yes. my fucking business. I know yes. what I said. I think that yeah, there was definitely yeah. a time for me where other people's opinions of me would have like shaken me to my core. Um and now I think I've I've built the callus. So we now have another voice note from Grace. Hi Floss, my name is Grace. I just want to say Women Don't Are You Pretty has changed my life for the good and I've not lived the same life since reading it. My question is, how do you make friends on social media, online? 
I am way too scared to message people out of the blue. I just don't have enough confidence for that. And I'm scared that commenting on pictures on Instagram will just attract a load of weirdos. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh, Grace, that was so wonderful. Um, Just want to say thank you for all the lovely words you said about my book. I want to say that you're not alone. Um, I think a lot of women want to be friends with each other. And we have these boundaries between us. They are very real, but they're all very much in our heads. We all assume, 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 assume. So I'm the same. I think so many women are cooler than me. I think so many women are Um, more so almost intimidating levels of cool that I would feel almost like approaching them would be like offensive (laughs) just because like wow you're 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 so cool what am I going up um talking to you and I don't know if that helps to hear me say it but we all have those uh feelings as well that's probably the main reason why I do those Instagram posts where I say make friends and flirt in the comments because I know that a lot of women want to be friends with each other but don't always feel comfortable approaching. I met my friends, actually, I'm bisexual. So I met women, a lot of my friends through dating apps, dates that ended up being like, let's actually just be friends. There's nothing sexual here, but I want you in my life forever. And you're incredible. There are so many clubs that you can uh, attend. There are a lot, I, I, I personally find sharing the things that you love online doesn't have to be your own content, could be other people's content. And then those other people sometimes just going, oh my God, I also love this band. Let's go to their gig together. They're playing this weekend, whatever. Being a bit more open and being a bit more brave is going to pay off. And I trust you, the world is not as scary as social media will have you believe when it comes to other women and what we all desire which deep down I believe is connection with one another but there are just a lot of things between us that was such a good answer (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah like I completely agree with share what sets your soul on fire what's really important to you what's really meaningful to you so I really think like if you start walking down the path like your path and the stuff that really is meaningful to you that you're really passionate about you will naturally meet people like-minded people as you walk down that path Okay, see, Root, we have our last question here and it's another voice note from Jasmine. I'm a student at university. I work for a women's charity in Glasgow and I'm a writer, an activist, a feminist. But I made the decision through lockdown to delete all of my social media uh, for various reasons, mostly because I feel like the detriments it has to me as a woman and to my mental health is not worth the benefits. However, as an aspiring writer, um, this obviously causes some barriers. And so my question is, how can I have my voice heard and how can I have a career in writing, in journalism and activism without having to use social media? That's a very good question. And as somebody who has only ever used social media to put my writing out there, I don't know of the traditional roots of journalism. There's a few things. One, yeah, of course, you don't have to use social media. But I think an intelligent use of social media is really useful because it's free real estate, right? You find your little patch of the internet and you plant your flag in there. You kind of get your message out there. And I think that's one of the few positives of social media 
There's so many career opportunities I'm sure both of us have that wouldn't exist because of social media, Mm -hmm. like if it weren't for social media. I really like your analogy of it being free real estate because I think there are ways that you can interact with social media that aren't detrimental to your health. If if, uh, Jasmine has deleted all of their social media... Uh, maybe because of the comparison elements and that it wasn't helping them with their mental health. Perhaps a different way to engage with that would be creating a new page that um, just showcases their work and their writing as almost like a portfolio to show the kind of stuff that you want to do. That's definitely the reason why I started my Instagram was as a portfolio of my work and then just kind of built it from there. Yeah. And then you, you don't even have to follow anyone (laughs) that's exactly you don't have to there's so many accounts that do that that literally just come online fire off their whatever it is into the echo chamber and then they don't follow anyone they don't respond to comments it's just that it's like Mm. a message board and they post it and then they go away but the other thing I just thought of is if it's writing why not use something like Substack where such good idea you can monetize it you know that can be your income source and you have the opportunity to write long form, which of course you can't do on social media. You don't have to have any interaction. You just publish your and writing. And the interactions on Substack also, like it's just, it's way more intentional because people are choosing to be there. I feel like with Instagram, because it's such like a multifaceted space, people use it for personal, they use it for business. They And like you said, almost everything now is becoming a marketing strategy. But on Substack, that is that yeah. is a place for people to put their writing. That's a, that's a really good... Yeah tangible tip there and I think that's great oh my god I love talking with Sirut today she has obviously been through a lot with social media and it's really refreshing to see her turn it into something that almost like a how-to guide that's what I feel like her social media is it's like a how-to guide on how to survive the wild west of particularly Instagram. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. If you'd like to find Seabrook on social media and you want to hear more about what she has to say, her ideas, her Instagram posts are incredible and knock the wind out of me every single time I read them. Her Instagram handle is at Chawler. Thank you so much to Root and thank you everyone for all of your calls, your questions and your voice notes. Next week, we're going to be diving into a whole new topic. We're going to be talking about body image. And to kick off this series, I couldn't think of a more iconic and revolutionary duo than the beauty redefined twins, Lindsay and Lexi. It's an absolute cracking episode and I can't wait for you to hear it. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget I'll be answering even more of your questions on the bonus episodes that are available to subscribers of Apple Podcasts. You can ask me absolutely anything. If you want your question answered by me, you can drop me a text or a voice note on WhatsApp on plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And a massive thank you to the fucking incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for my podcast. You can find them on Instagram at BlackHoneyUK and check out their latest album called Written and Directed. To keep yourself updated with all the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take the time to rate us wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a review. It really does help people to find us and make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. This is a podcast from something else. 
My producer is Millie Charles. My assistant producer is Ella McLeod. Executive producer is Carly Mail. Production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I want to give a special thanks to our engineers, Jay Beal, Josh Gibbs, and mixing engineer, Gully Lawrence Tickle. An additional production from Chris Skinner and Teddy Riley. Thank you.